What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Treadmill Desk, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Sahil of Gumroad.com. This is a money episode. Sahil runs Gumroad.com, which is one of my favorite new sites for content creators. It's one of the best ways if you're creating templates, designs, art, images, ebooks, whatever it is, to sell it online. I wanted to learn how the hell, if I wanted to start a business online for selling digital items, how do I grow it? And Sahil is the man to talk to. So there's three major things you're going to learn. Number one, how do you find your community and your early customers? Number two, the earliest days of Pinterest, he was hired at 19 years old. And we'll find out if he got rich. And number three, the early days of the internet. And where is it going next? Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, are you subscribed to my email list? What, what are you doing? Come on, get to it. I put my best tips into a single shot email every single week. Sendfox.com slash Noah. That is sendfox.com slash Noah. And if you are a content creator, go create your own weekly newsletter at sendfox.com. A special pre-show shout out to listener Music Editor 46 for the United States of America. He said that I am one of the top three podcasts that they listen to. Thank you so much. I, I Honestly, I really appreciate you and every single person who listens. I love all of you. And if you want to leave a review anywhere online, I check them and I will call you out in a future episode. We've built businesses, I think, that have been successful without the coasts. Or maybe that's not as eloquent, but it's like we're not, we didn't build a Silicon Valley. And then you, you started out, especially with Gumroad. Let's build the Silicon Valley coastal. I need the VCs watching this. I talked to the Clubhouse guys. I was like, they're like, oh, we need to do machine learning to figure out notifications. And I was like, I get that part of it. Maybe you're just smarter than me. But what about normal people in the Midwest, normal people in international, normal people in Canada or, or South America? And so I guess, how has that been your observation with, with the Gumroad experience, especially because you did do the funding? Yeah. Billion dollar I feel journey. like I've lived both sides a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of it is unnecessary, you know, and I think you do it because it's kind of like Harborough call mentality of Silicon Valley, where you just, you do it because that's what people do that, you know, you raise a bunch of money and that's what you, you need to spend the money on stuff. And this is typically what people spend the money on. One of the things I learned is like when you, when you run out of money or you're close to that, you start sort of cutting a lot of these things and they don't really impact any of your your key metrics as much maybe as you thought they would if at all. Sometimes our metrics went up when we got rid of stuff. Yeah, so a lot of that stuff I just don't believe you need. But you're never going to know because if you're growing and you're doing all these things right, like you might be burning hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, but you're never going to like question it. And the problem is when you are in a social environment where you're building a company, everyone around you is building companies in this sort of like similar way and you do something weird and then you fail or something goes wrong, it's easy to be like, that's the reason, right? That's the reason that we messed up. It's like hiring that weird person, you know? No one wants to hire the weird person. Everyone wants to hire the MIT grad. And then when the MIT grad turns out to be crazy, like it's like, well, you know, we tried. How would we have known, right? I see that a lot. When you're in that environment, everyone kind of has like a very similar modus operandi, like for example, machine learning to do notifications, things like that. I'm the same. Like, I think a lot of that is stupid. Like, I just don't think it's necessary. And you can get 99% of the value by just having an incredibly simple heuristic that's just like, if they haven't got a no notification in six hours, send another one and then sort of like restart that clock or something. But I also like, I come from a place where like I ran Gumroad by myself for a couple of years, you know, after the layoffs and things. And so I was like hyper aware of all the things that you do as a, as a product are now like my domain, you know? I had to kind of understand and know about all these things. And so I feel like I have like a sort of inflated sense of cost of like building a new feature, supporting a new thing, you know, having a new marketing channel or what have you that, you know, like a Facebook group that we're maintaining or a Twitter account or whatever. Like these are all things I'm like, shit, I have to do all of these things 
And so I'm, really, I'm just, I decided to get rid of a lot of them. I just like, we don't need this. We don't need to support this feature. There's like seven people that use this. Let's kill that. And it's been like amazing because the product has like drastically simplified. We probably cut, you know, dozens of features, small little things here and there. And it means that we can move so much faster and running the business is sort of cheaper and more scalable than it's ever been, which now as we grow in reaction to COVID has been nice because it's like, I don't have to like, you know, there's not all these new users using all these annoying features, right? They're all kind of coming into this like simple streamlined thing that we are after years have determined is like the right sort of way to use Gumroad and like, let's go for that. I think you're the future. We're trying to do it from the business angle. I think you're doing it from like this creator angle, like the Shopify for e-commerce. You're the digital e-commerce platform. And I'm trying to do it with the AppSumo world on business people. Like if it's business knowledge, business tools, that's what I want. And I think there's this huge world of like designs and Photoshop stuff and all this stuff that's amazing on Gumroad. But coming back, I mean, from my audience and maybe YouTube and the podcast, people may not know, like, so early on, you were, how early when you took the funding? Maybe just a little bit of the the early story, just for- So I got started in tech in Silicon Valley. I learned iOS development in high school and stuff, but I, I got my first job at Pinterest. I was employee number two. I was 18. Were you based in the Valley? Yeah. Yeah. I was based in Palo Alto. Did you go to Palo Alto High or where'd you go? No, I grew up in Singapore actually abroad. Okay. And then did you come to Pinterest and move to Palo Alto for the job? Yeah. So I, I went to USC uh, in LA for a semester and then I dropped out to join Pinterest, moved up to the Bay Area. How'd you get the job? Ben sent me an email out of the blue. He saw my work oh. online. Yeah. My, some app I made, Data, it's called. And uh, it was on Happy News, I think I submitted it. And he just said, hey, you know, we have this thing called Pinterest, you know, helps people collect, share, organize the things that they love. We need an iPhone app. Do you want to help us make it? And I said, sure. The number one thing I want to talk with you about is all the people now who are unemployed, all the new creators of the world. It's like, I want to learn more about that. And you, you have the inside knowledge, the inside track. But I talked to this guy named Varun in India. He's in India right now. And he's like, man, I need to get a job. I'm applying for jobs. He asked me to look at his resume. And I said, I don't really like believing in resumes. You have a great example of it where you were, you created, you did something that was a magnet. So maybe for people who don't have jobs, but they have some talent, video, writing, marketing, you know, let's say you're not at Gumroad, you know, what kind of recommendations or what would you do all over today around that? Yeah. I mean, I think the absolute best thing you can do is build something. Whatever you're being hired to do, for example, I was being hired at Pinterest to build Pinterest for iPhone, which is what I did. If I have a portfolio of apps that I've made and designed and built and put on the app store and built marketing pages for and done the whole thing, it becomes really easy to get hired for that sort of job. Even, you know, like Ben, it wasn't just Ben. I talked to Evan from Flipboard and Kevin from Instagram. And like, I, you know, I knew a bunch of these founders, I don't know, as an 18-year-old cold kid that doesn't even live in the Bay Area, it was kind of unique. But it's because like doing that as an 18-year-old kid was unique. The reason that Ben thought that he had to send a USC freshman an email about iOS development was he, I assume he probably looked in San Francisco and was like, either these people are too expensive or no one knows how to do this. And Pinterest was super small at the time, right? So like, they're not looking for like just an engineer. They're looking for someone who can design, build, kind of just say, hey, we need Pinterest for iPhone. And I can say, okay, cool. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I can go build the whole thing. Uh, same thing I did for Turntable. I built Turntable FM for iPhone. That was like a three-week project. Billy over there and Seth, I talked to about that. I reached out to them about that one though. But it's really just about like proving that you can do the job. And like the best way to do the job is to just like do the job before you get the job, right? And so if you can make videos, if you can write, if you can do any of these things, like a resume is basically like, here's a, you know, like these people think that I can do these skills. I got good grades relative to these skills. And that's fine if you can't just show the skills in action. But if you can show the skills in action, like, I mean, if someone sends me, 
a link uh, to like a, a thing that helps people like creators accept commerce payments. And they're like, Hey, I know Ruby and Rails and React and I built this thing, go play with it. And it's great. Like the literally 90% chance that they get to work at Gumroad, I pay them a hundred to $200 an hour and they get to learn from me and work with the team and all these sorts of things. And a lot of people are like, that's unbelievable. There's no way that's possible. Like, otherwise, you know, you'd have hundreds of people. And I'm like, seriously, no, like the truth is, I can say this out loud to lots of people and very few people will actually go out and do that. That's just what I've learned. I've tried with Twitter and things to be really loud about like, this is how you get a job at Gumra. This is how you blah, 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 blah. And, you know, when we talk to creators, the same sort of thing. I'm like, this is how you become a successful creator. But the truth is it's hard. It requires a lot of time and most people are busy doing whatever they're doing. And a resume is fine, but like, it's kind of like a last resort. Like if you can't show your expertise in a different way, like, you know, you're stuck with the resume. It's funny, I've definitely hired people. The past three people I've hired, I just saw their work or they did work for free. They just showed me things. They're like, here's stuff I've been doing. And I'll do some of the stuff for free even, which I didn't even ask. And now they have very high uh, salary jobs that they seem to enjoy. The funny thing is, uh, you made me reflect on my mom. I work with this guy, Mitchell. And she's like, oh, where do you go to college? And I was like, I don't know. I think he went to Indiana, but I'm not really sure. Or other people like David Kelly, I think he went to Syracuse. But I think the point is like, I haven't asked for a resume probably in a few years. I haven't even looked at one. And I think the people that have been the most impressive are the ones that take initiative and, and do some of the things that you've talked about. That's a great reminder. Yeah, we had a PhD from Caltech one time on Gumroad for a couple of years. And it came up at lunch one time. And I was like, you have a PhD from Caltech? Like, what? It's cool. As, but like, you know, it doesn't really matter in the context of, you know, what we were doing. So yeah, and it doesn't affect your pay. If you can do the work, you get paid. You're not getting a boost because you have a PhD necessarily. So. Well, I, I thought the irony in what you said is that you sh- you're telling people, hey, go do stuff, create stuff and show it to me. And then maybe I'll hire you. But that in and of itself might give them their own job where they don't actually need to go get work for anyone else, which I've been, you know, I'm trying to encourage everyone to go do. Like, how do you become your own boss? Like no more bosses. It's not that you shouldn't work for other people or work with other people, but you should try to do whatever it is that you can control your future and your, your current situation. At least that's what I want everyone to do. I want you to, to be in charge where it's not like the virus, my boss, this person fucked this shit up for me. I fully agree. Like that's my goal is to just like control the variables in my life and my universe. I think that's the coronavirus has fucked with everyone about that because it's like, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, it's like, what can you do? Let's like expand that circle as much as we can. All right. So you you did the Pinterest thing. You did turn to, did you get rich at Pinterest by the way? Like I didn't get rich at Facebook. I should have. If I was smarter, I was a little too young and naive and stupid. Did they offer you equity? Did you, did you not ask? Yeah, I had a good chunk of the company, but I just left before my cliff. What's the range it would be worth if you don't mind? It would be around 25 to 40 million, I think. I don't know, actually, right? Because I don't know like the dilution amounts and things like that. But yeah, in the order of magnitude, around tens of millions of dollars. And you would have had to stay four years? If I had stayed the full four years, yeah. I think what's interesting is people hear that or they say like, oh, look at these people that got rich out this stuff. They don't hear all the other ones where it doesn't happen or it like it goes really well. Like there's tens of thousands where that may not even have happened. So you could have stayed four years and nothing. Yeah. All right. So you did the Pinterest, maybe the Gumroad part. What did you see early on that gave you that insight? Because I think a lot of people are always like, oh, where did, I want more ideas. And it's like the idea is generally, generally probably solving your own problem. But I guess what did you see? And you did the VC road to begin with, right? Yeah. I mean, I built Gumroad as a prototype initially because I wanted to sell an icon, a pencil icon that I designed in Photoshop. <laughs> And, you know, I had a Twitter account, Dribble account, but I had no real, like, I don't know, like website or anything that I would use to do that. And it was just an experiment. It was just like, can I do this? Can I sell this thing to this audience? And I did a little bit of research and it was like, I would have to have like a, you know, build a new page on my website and like have a PayPal button and then people would click in and I'd have to like either automate or like manually just like email people receipts with the like PSD upload or put on my S3 file, or, you know, 
redirect people after the fact or whatever, and it wouldn't be very secure. And it was just like a lot of steps. And I could design and code and, you know, most people can't do that kind of thing. That was Friday night. I had designed this icon. And then that weekend, I just said sort of spent at home and just built Gumroad that weekend and then launched it, launched it Monday morning. And so did you launch it pre-funded, right? You didn't have any VC. You just kind of said, hey, up. beginning, it was just like a weekend project, side hustle kind of thing, just using, you know, like a my own PayPal account or whatever, I would take in all the money. And for quite a while, it was manual. Like at the end of the month, I would kind of like, you know, have to pay people. I think using PayPal, and it was kind of a pain. But, you know, it was fine. It worked. There was like, I don't know how many people, like probably a few dozen people or something, you know? That bought your icon? No, that used Gumroad. So when I launched it, everyone could sign up and start selling stuff. Oh, interesting. What was the first thing sold? Not yours. Oh, I don't even remember. Probably like a PSD of something else, you know, like a theme or WordPress theme was pretty popular. Those sorts of things. Music was pretty early. There were a lot of people trying to like mess around with music. Music is perpetually in like a we're screwed state. So they're always super willing to try <laughs> stuff. People selling movies, films, documentaries, a lot of indie kind of stuff, you know, podcasts, kind of stuff like that. No, I had this really interesting conversation with uh, with Ryan Hoover of Product Hunt. And one of the things like Gumroad or AppSumo, and I do apologize if I cut you off. I didn't mean to. No, no. But I talked to him and he had a really interesting point. Most of the most major successful companies, their first like weekend first version is actually like the best. At the essence of the business, that's still the most important. And so with AppSumo... Daily deals for software tools. 10 years later, we've tried so many different things. And really just getting a good deal, putting it out, sending it to some people is still the fundamental. Like Gumroad, input your product. Here's a price. Give a link. You buy it. Send a thing. Same with Product Hunt. Google, search, like Facebook. It's like, all right, here's my picture, my name. And yeah, there's. I mean, it's like what we were talking about in the beginning. Like you get stuck into these things that you should be doing. But actually, like if you just did the first thing that you did better slowly and you just kind of like micro improved it, you'd see more growth. And that's kind of what we've seen. Like when we were struggling to raise our Series B in 2015, you know, we really kind of focused the company on like what can make us grow faster and it didn't work at all, really. And then nowadays, it's just like, how can we make this process smoother for our existing creator base? It's just like faster, smoother, less clicks, less buttons, less things, autofill, you know, like Apple Pay, like how streamlined can we make this thing? How simple, basically like how little can we make someone think about what we're building? Right? Like, how, can we just like disappear into the background of their life? Well, so two parts of that are a little interesting. So I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't even know the thing to create on the first part. And then the second side of that is, how do I know what stuff to subtract or add? Going back to your point, I think solving your own problem is key. And I think a lot of folks that they get hung up because they're like, I want to build something right now. And the truth is like the best way to discover things to work on is to just like live a life, like a normal life, like go do stuff. I know it's a little hard right now, but like do things in your, however you can, and you will have ideas. Like, for example, like I'm at home, I have no one to talk to. Maybe I would build an app that lets me talk to other people in my network. There are a lot of problems out there and everyone has them. I think when you're not attuned to it, you just live your life like this is what it is. And over time, as you start sort of observing, when you start really like deeply observing stuff, you like see a lot of opportunity, right? And so you can sort of tune that muscle and be like, oh, this is a problem that I can actually solve with a software product that, you know, lets me do the X, Y, Z. Like, for example, like Gumroad, I had that idea, like, I need to sell this thing. And I stub my toe. That's kind of what I call it. It's like, you're just like trying to, like, people stub their toe and then move on. And it's just like, pause on that and be like, what went wrong? Can I fix this problem? But it requires patience and, and stuff like that, right? Like, a lot of people are like in a rush, especially right now. And I think it's really important to just like, just live your life, pay attention. And if you run into a problem or like something that's annoying, like that's a good sort of, I think a good heuristic is like, what's the annoying thing about your day? And like, 
I Gumroad, I, I mean, there's plenty of them. That's how we improve the product, right? Is we just find like, we just talk to creators and it's like, what's the most annoying thing about using Gumroad? And they're like, oh, I hate that. I can't do this. And I'm like, cool, we'll go, you know, fix that. <laughs> it's actually really easy. Like working on Gumroad is like, is a quite an easy thing for me right now. Cause it's like, I talk to creators, they tell me what they want. I kind of like synthesize it into a few different buckets, kind of construct a narrative from that kind of like create a nice little, like this leads to this leads to this leads to this. And then I, you know, I put it in notion and once you paint the picture, people get inspired and motivated to go sort of like complete it. Don't be in a rush. I think that's pretty key. I think people are, it's kind of like when you're, you're like, I want to be inspired. How do I get inspired? <laughs> Anytime someone asks me that question, I'm like, that's kind of the wrong way to go about it. It's like, what books do you recommend I read? And I'm like, the fact that you're asking me that, I'm scared for you. Because like people I know that read have like a thousand books ahead of them. I know what books I need to read next. They're on my Kindle. They're right there. The people typically that ask me like for book recommendations, like they should just be reading the books that they already know they should be reading. They're like looking for excuses not to read the books there that are already in front of them. Once you just start living and breathing and doing things like the ideas will come, you know, learn to code, learn to write. Like these are skills you might need later. So like start working on them. And as you work on them, like you'll immediately or you'll very quickly start to have like more empathy for like, oh, I could solve that problem or like code lets me do mm. this. Maybe I can apply it here. It's funny because like when you've done it for a while, you know, we've both been building products for a decade plus. Decades, yeah. You know, we don't really have these problems anymore. We kind of have the opposite, I feel like sometimes, which is like we have too many ideas. So like the beginners kind of struggle and it's like, don't worry, in like a year or two, you won't even have this question because you're going to have more ideas than you'll ever be able to build. You'll be throwing them out on Twitter, hoping someone else builds them. It's funny. One of the questions that I don't know why, but it always bothers me and you probably need to reflect on it, but what motivates you? And I'm like, I don't know, like not dying, right? Like I just, just like, I think everyone has their own intrinsic motivations and either your motivation is to be very lazy and that's your skill, but everyone has some skill, but I liked your point, which is solve your own problem and just be aware, I think of anything, right? And I like looking to be like, oh, I didn't like that. Or like, I hated MailChimp. I just fucking thought it was overpriced and very confusing. So we built SendFox and now I'm doing more podcasts on YouTube. I'm like, well, how can I even make it better for that? And then I'm trying to figure out how do I make it even, there's more referrals in it. And I'm like, I think where I've gotten sidetracked or I've not been as successful or sustainable is where I'm trying to solve problems for other people that I just have no association or real interest in. I've always just found my, my success more personal than success, what I measure it as, just making something that I really like. And then it gets me excited to go find other people that I think have that same problem and get them to, to solve that problem for them too. It's much easier. It's much easier when you have a product that you like. And then the, the problem becomes like, can I find more people like me, which is typically much easier to do than I have a problem. Like I have a product. Now I need to go like sell this to a group of people. That's really hard. And those people are going to be like, you're just like everybody else. You tell me that you have a thing and it does a thing and it's great. But if you're like, hey, I have this problem. Do you have this problem? Yes. Well, I built a thing that solved it for me. That's a much, much, much more compelling sales pitch, you know? Agreed. It's it's much easier. One thing that's a challenge, I was talking with this guy, Matt, earlier today, and he's a filmmaker. And he's like, I got this video. I've made a film. How do I sell it? And so I, I think with my style of starting businesses, I don't have a name for it yet, but I'd call it customer first, which is if you're doing anything, like I talked to my assistant, she's like, I'm going to create a course. I was like, okay, great. Do you have any customers? No, 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 no. I'll find them after I pay the... 1995 subscription for the, the course platform. And then I, I need to do ads. So I have a, I'm taking a course on how to do ads. And I was like, do you have anyone who's bought it? And she's like, no. And so I've always kind of been encouraging people. So if you want to have a video business, go find people to pay for your videos and then make a video. Or if you want to be a course, go find people to teach your course on. Because it's easy to put something on AppSumo. It's easy to put something on Gumroad. 
the hard part is actually finding the people that say this is a real problem that I'm excited. That's the, by far the hardest part for sure. I mean, I think I see this with creators all the time. And people ask me like, what do people want from me? And I'm always just like, just ask them, like ask their audience, <laughs> ask their audience, like literally tweet it. Like, what do you want from me? What would you pay for? Like the problem is that is kind of a mask, I think for a different question, which is like, I don't have an audience and I don't know how to get one. And the ways I've seen that work are tedious and boring and slow. But those are the answers. Like, yeah, building your audience at the beginning is slow and tedious. And, you know, like when I was in San Francisco, I met seven or 8,000 people one-on-one over coffee over the six years that I lived there. And so guess what? I have a pretty large audience on Twitter because like I took the time and, and effort to like meet a lot of people. And I didn't meet them just to build a following on the internet. I built them, you know, I built relationships and enjoy doing that. But it's like, you can do the math on like how to build an audience. It's not that hard. It's just time consuming. And a lot of folks, they just want to kind of get quick, rich kind of scheme and they'll spend hundreds of dollars on courses on the internet. And as someone who helps people sell courses on the internet, I, I'm like, just don't, yeah, just a waste of time. Like do that after the fact. Do that to optimize what you're already doing. There's too many businesses, honestly, that kind of, I feel like almost like prey on these people that are sort of like, they think they're ready, but they're not ready. They're kind of putting the, the horse before the cart. They're learning about like, ads and seo before they've sold anything and it's like that stuff comes like years later like you don't need to worry about any of this stuff the person who's making a killing right now is the person selling that course to you you know you always got to be kind of careful of that how are you running the business very specifically when you are funded versus how are you running it now is i think you bought everyone out yeah most people like we have we still have like a little under two million on the cap table but yeah most of the business it's, it's been bought back so yeah, I mean, so we raised 10 million bucks over the course of like a few years from all these Silicon Valley people. And we ran it like a Silicon Valley company. You know, we hired a bunch of people. We got an office in San Francisco. We did that whole thing. We solved, you know, every problem by spending money or, you know, on a service or people. And it was great. Honestly, it was a lot of fun. Like we had a great culture and like great people and everyone was living a great life. But the business like was not profitable at all. We were burning 300 plus thousand dollars a month, you know, that whole thing. And so in 2015, we did the round of layoffs, got to profitable. Basically, we like reversed everything we did. Like instead of having an office, we didn't have an office. Instead of having meetings, we didn't have meetings. It was like, we all know what we need to do to get profitable. Like, let's just focus on doing that. And we don't have to talk. We don't have to, we don't have to do team building exercises. We don't have to do any of this stuff. You know, we don't need an office, like none of that. And then once we got there in 2016 ish, you know, I was like, okay, cool. What do we want to add back? Right. Like now we can we have enough money. We can sort of like pull some of these things back into the company. And I realized like basically none of it. Like I don't, I don't really need any of that stuff right now. And now, you know, we're three or four times bigger than we were when we did the layoffs. We're, you know, growing faster, even, even like relative numbers. And it's just like, it turns out I don't need that stuff. I don't need an office. I don't need, you know, like a big team of people. We operate remote, asynchronous, like we just use Slack, Notion, and GitHub to like communicate, you know, super low drama, everything's in writing, everyone works their own schedule, and it works, like it works great. And we don't need, people ask me all the time, like, how do you deal with like community and a social, sort of social bonding and politics and all that stuff? And I'm like, we don't do any of that. Like we don't have any of it. And by the way, people have figured out now with coronavirus that like, you don't need a lot of this stuff. It turns out like your company is probably still functioning. Some of them, the online ones. But I think the solid good companies that have, you know, is you can work remote. Obviously, it's a privilege in many ways, but you can work remote possibly. You don't necessarily need to come into the office every day. You probably don't need a bunch of meetings uh, in your calendar that you think you might. You don't need, you know, like crazy documentation on sprints and agile development and like 
You just need to ship a product and charge money for that product and everything else is optional, <laughs> right? Stop making it simple because it's complicated. I need to buy books. I need to buy courses. People are trying to sell you on stuff and I'm sure I'll sell you on something too at some point. But yeah, you don't need it. I like to think about it like I built Gumroad. It did its thing day one, Monday morning that night, that you know, that weekend or whatever. And then I've just been adding to it. But like that's it's all kind of unnecessary, you know? It's not like Gumroad needs... I mean, clearly it didn't. It works. It does its thing. We've sent $10 million to creators in the last 30 days. Like it's clearly doing a thing. It's working. So like you can tell me we need an office, but you're missing like the second half of a sentence. Like every time you say need, you need a two, right? You need an office to blank. So you can just clarify what that is for me. And then I'm happy to listen to you. But if you just say, I need this, I need that. I clearly don't. Like I don't have a water cooler channel in Slack. We don't do team meetings. We don't do all hands. We don't do any of this stuff. So like, we don't need it, clearly. We're profitable. We're growing. You know, I don't know what that too is for people. But my guess is that it's just to be normal, to be like not weird, to feel like you're not sort of like maybe unveiling that maybe there are other things that they might feel like they think they need and you're showing them that maybe they don't and they're dealing with this dissonance. I think that's a lot of it probably. But my guess is that we're going to see a lot more companies that look a lot like Gumroad. A lot more like Gumroad, at least. For sure, dude. Yeah, but like a lot less, certainly a lot less like what Gumroad used to look like in 2012 to 2015. The thing I've been wondering and excited about is like, there's so many problems nowadays and there's so much opportunity. And I'm just trying to get that message out there. And I think Gumroad is one of the best platforms for that. For me, I think about all the challenges now, like communicating in a group of more than two or three online is actually really hard. That still has not even been close to solved. And there's just so many other kind of interesting things that are out there. What are the numbers? Like I always curious what the pilot, what dials you look at. So what are the dials you look at to see how your plane is flying? And I want to start jumping into what stuff is selling really well, what stuff is actually disappointing. I'll do that. And then I got the, the follow up on that. Yeah. So the dials I look at, typically there's two only. There's a couple more, but they're sort of secondary. The top two are basically how much volume creators are processing. So how much money creators are actually making, right? Which is around $10 million a month right now. And how much revenue we're making, which honestly, like I could probably just track the first one, one because our revenue yes. is roughly the same, or at least roughly scales, but the revenue, which is around, I think we just crossed 700 MRR, 700K MRR. Dude, good. Congratulations, man. Yeah. So, you know, solid. It's pretty good. Yeah, no bad. Two things I got to add, man. I talked to this guy a few weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I've got a six figure business, whatever. It's not a seven figure. I wish I could come across here and just slap the dude. I'm like, good for you, man. You're like, you're not sitting on the sidelines. You're not complaining. You did it. You can't do a seven figure business without being a six. It's hard, man, because we all want certain things. Like I was talking to someone who wants their second product and I was like, you don't even have a first product. And uh, the other thing that I have noticed, man, is that to be a millionaire, like I am a millionaire and not bragging. It took me 10 years. Yeah, you're right. It takes time. And you said, what? Yeah, everyone has to suffer. You have to suffer. And I talked with Tom Billy about this. The guy is really interesting. I love this guy. The Quest Nutrition Bars, you know, those Quest Bars you see at the store. He said, and I really loved it. He's like, you have to have a reward that matters and is so good for you that you'll, you're willing to go through the suffering. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, like Gumroad five, six, seven years in even, like did not look like an interesting business. Like VCs wrote it off, you know, six years in. Yeah, it took eight, nine years to get to a place. Now I think the sentiment might be if you tweeted out, like how's Gummer doing? Most people would be like, oh, they're a great business. <laughs> it's a nine-year-old company. It took a long time. And honestly, I, if, I, I think if I talked to most founders and I said, if you were building a business and seven years in, you were, you were where Gummer was seven years in, they'd be like, that's not for me. Huh, what do you mean? Where were you? Just to be clear. I mean, seven years in, I had no employees. We were doing maybe $2 million in revenue. We had $16.5 million on the cap table. 
in preferences, right? Like buried. So that means that you have to sell it for over 16 million for you to even start getting any money? Yeah. We're doing around 2 million maybe in ARR. So it's unlikely. Growing 15% year over year. So very few people I think would have taken that, that deal. Honestly, I wouldn't have taken that deal, right? If I was another person and I was coming in, I would have been like, why would I work here? Which I know because no one worked there except for me. I was kind of the only person on the ship. And now, you know, we're eight, nine million ARR doubling every year. Now we're, we're over a hundred percent year over year growth. Take a step back on that. I think what everyone, what I'm wondering, because at Facebook, when I was there and at Mint and at, you know, when I did Facebook, all these things, I saw the numbers and I was like, one, the market is huge for people that want to connect and our numbers are fucking exploding. Were you seeing, even though seven years, we're not fucking, but did you see that it will turn the corner? Honestly, I thought that for years, you know, like when we were in the early days, I was like, this is, you know, we're growing, we're like linear, kind of like linear growth, but like, we're just about to like hit a wave and we just never really did, honestly. And even 2017, you know, uh, six years into the business, over six years into the business, six and a half years, we were 15% year over year growth, which if you're not familiar, like growing 15% year over year is nothing. For most, if you're a startup that's raised millions of dollars, like that's a failure. You heard of this, they call it the, Andrew Chen is always telling me triple, triple, double, double. He's like, if you're not tripling first year, tripling second year, doubling, and then doubling. Double, nothing. <laughs> We're just, that's nothing <laughs> double, strike out, strike. We raised so much money before, because I was such a sort of a hot commodity in startup land, I was able to raise $8 million and then figure that out. So I didn't have to triple, triple, double, double. But what it meant was like when we knew when it didn't happen for us, we were just like, we're screwed because we've raised so much capital. And if I was more, maybe a smarter founder, I would have just been like, we're screwed. Let's just write it off because we're never going to get here anyways. Mm. Let's just go raise more money on a new cap table, new company. But it worked out for me. It just took a long time. And so anyways, yeah, when I talk to founders now, they might say, yeah, I'd totally love to be where you are. And it's like, well, you have to be the person who would have been at that seven-year mark growing 50% with 16 on the cap table to be where I am now. Which is, I think, why people don't hate me. Like, I think a lot of people now would be like, you own the company or most of it. You know, it's a big business. You can do whatever you want. Like, it's a pretty appealing position for a lot of people. And I wrote a post about it. I'm very public about it. But I think the reason it worked and it, like, that posted well and the billion dollar, yeah. Yeah. The reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company. The reason it worked is because people saw the struggle. Like, people saw me stick with this idea and sort of like, you know, put creators first, as you mentioned, customers first. And also when I wrote the post, like we are half the size we are today. I think the thing that I like personally is how do I work on things where there's not an end? Yeah, totally. I think of Gumroad like a art project. It's just such a fun thing to work on and to improve and to sort of align with my creative pursuits. You know, I just love the idea that I can make this product stupidly good. Like I want to make it so good that people use it and they're just like, this is stupid. Why would you spend so much time on like getting this interaction right? Or like this checkout flow or this or that. And and actually, the, when I, I made that transition, when I decided Gumroad was not going to be big, because we were growing 15% seven years in, I was like, fuck it. Like, at least I have, you know, some money, I can hire a few people, and we can just make a really great product. There's like 10,000 people that love this thing, or 5,000 people that love this thing, or whatever the number was that we're using it every month that we're making around two, three, four million dollars a month. Let's just make their lives awesome. Like, let's just make that product really, really, really great. Zero marketing spend. I wasn't tweeting or Gumroad wasn't tweeting like just organic, pure organic growth. That's why I was only 15%, right? No sales team or anything like that. And then the next year was 25% year over year growth. Last year was 40% year over year growth. This year so far, we're at 65% year over year growth and April looks to be over 100% year over year growth. And it's 100% organic. It's just like building the product, making it better. Obviously, like COVID and market, like there's sort of been a market acceleration that I think 
we could not have predicted that probably compressed maybe a year or two worth of growth. But we worked hard for that. We spent two years just like making the product really, really, really good so that when this happens, we're ready for it. We're not reacting to it. It's just a thing that's happening. And we're like, cool, yeah, the product works. It does its thing. We send money. It's all automated. So like we could process, we started the year processing, I think, 8 million or 6 million or 7 million, something like that. 7 million, I think. Now we're at 10. April will probably be 11 or 12 million. We'll see what happens. COVID might just be a bump. I think it's a a Y-axis shift for you guys. I would bet on it too. So if you're ever looking for an investor, I'm a horrible one. I'm a horrible investor. Great. But I I would definitely lose 10 Gs in your company any day. Yeah. Well, like Stripe, I try to get involved with those. I think, you know, for a lot of people out there, I always recommend it's like, look at the products you love or look at the companies you're using a lot and figure out how to just go work there. Like Stripe, I was trying to invest years ago because I was like, yo, we use you guys a lot. And I don't know how we'd live without you. Totally. If you can find that, if you can, yeah, if you can say, hey, I spend an hour of my time a day on this thing, or like a significant amount of my income comes from this thing, like, you know, when we raise money, if and when we raise money, like the first thing we'll do right before talking to you will is just ping all of our creators, you know, because guess, guess what? Guess who knows Gumroad and one deserves a piece of it, right? They clearly see what we're doing. And then if I want to go raise money from other people, it's really easy because I can say, hey, all these people that use Gumroad for better or worse. They're familiar with all the bugs and all the history they put money in. It's not going to be super difficult. That's a possibility for this year. We'll see what happens. What I got so excited about Gumroad, and I hit you up, I think a year ago to acquire or work with you in some way with SendFox, because we're trying to be email marketing for these content creators. And I think there's like a synergy where they need to communicate with their audiences and so forth. But what I'm fascinated and curious about is what categories or products are blowing up that you're like, hey, I can't believe how much money these people are making. And which ones are you surprised of how little they're making? The ones that are doing well are all around like self-help, self-improvement, skill acquisition. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like a lot of courses, a lot of eBooks, like around, you know, like cooking, meditation, health and wellness, mental health, physical health, exercise, learn to code, learn to design, financial well-being stuff, lots of art too, like a lot of digital art, like uh, not only tutorials, like learning to paint and draw, but also like comics. And even like with COVID, we've seen a lot of like coloring book sort of things happening where people will, you know, sell PDFs that people can print out and with their kids and do stuff like that. We saw yeah. some guys selling Zoom virtual backgrounds. Dude, I love it. You inspired me about that. I told the AppSumo team, I was like, guys, we need these virtual backgrounds now. And uh, someone actually created zoomvirtualbackgrounds.com. And I think they've stolen the video, the photos. They look too damn good. It's interesting with some of that stuff. So courses, activities, what are the other categories you'd say? Yeah, like eBooks, videos, like films, documentaries, like a really? lot of entertainment. Yeah. Films are interesting because basically every independent theater in America is shut down right now. What they're doing, what we've seen is they'll work with the filmmaker and say, hey, we'll do a, a virtual screening on Gumroad. Uh, people can rent it for you know, 15 bucks or whatever, they can get access for 72 hours and then they can watch it at home and, and we'll split. I don't know what their actual financial agreement is, but my guess is that they'll figure out some sort of split. And people are just being creative. There are all these people with audiences. The cool thing is if you have an audience, if it's an email list, a blog, a Twitter account, YouTube account, Reddit account, any of these sorts of things, people are spending more time on the internet right now than they ever yeah. have. They're spending more time at home than they ever have. The audience is there, right? It's just figuring out like, in combination with your skill set and what you know how to do, like how do you connect to those people? How do you make products for those people? How do you help them? That's the core thing, right? I think that's the thing. The theme with things that we've seen work is like, how do you help these people? These people are in a specific place in their life. Can you teach them a skill that they can monetize? Can you just make their lives better with a, an hour of stand up or what have you? We're seeing our memberships product that we're launching soon. We're starting to see a lot of uptick in that. 
In terms of what's not doing so well, honestly, we haven't seen a ton of drop. I would say the 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 people who are just they have stuff on Gumroad and they're not actively promoting it, they're not doing super well. Surprise. They were just building storefronts and they were just, you know, and they had this like nice recurring income, like you know, let's say a thousand bucks a month or something. That's all basically gone because they're not sort of pushing stuff. And you do have to push stuff and and the thing is because everyone else is pushing stuff, like those people are now allocating their dollars very differently. They're kind of revisiting their, you know, all of their spend. So you have to kind of like re-promote mm. all the stuff that you're doing. So what I've told our creators is like, hey, if you have all this old stuff, maybe you do it at a discount or give it away for free, but use it to build your audience and then launch oh, new products for that group of people and these all these new new people. And we've got we've actually gotten some pushback because I'm pretty optimistic and I was like, hey, COVID's happening. Here's how you might want to deal with it. The creator economy, frankly, is booming right now. And there are a lot of creators that are like, this is insensitive. My life is terrible and blah, 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 and all these things. And I think those are valid. I think those are, they're, I'm sure they, they're not doing well. But at the end of the day, like no one's coming to save you. That's my favorite line lately. Yes. No one is coming to save you. Yeah. I think I stole that from Naval. But it's true. It's like, it's just about, it's not even that I disagree or agree with your opinion. It's just like, if you want to get out of this thing and this hole, and you can be right on everything, but it doesn't matter. Like you're poor or whatever, right? Like you're broke. Yeah. You just have to figure it out. You just have to learn. Like I built Gumroad, I learned to code. It's like, I didn't complain about not knowing how to code or like complain that it's a XYZ thing is wrong with the startup industry, even though I might believe all these things. Just like, well, I want to play the game because the game is worth playing. I don't agree with the rules, but I'm going to play with play by them. And, you know, I did pretty okay at the game. You can't just wait for the world to be perfect. I think the opportunity is this chaos and is in this uncertainty. If it was stable, there's less opportunities for you to be stand up for yourself and take advantage. I mean, I think the thing out there is people, I just, I saw a comment earlier and it was like, well, you didn't lose your job and you didn't do this. And I think the the same thing could be said where you committed seven years to something that wasn't actually going to be a big success. And I think some of these people want that success day one. I know I do too at times. I want to read a book, get the answer to all the fucking questions I have and hope it is easy. I want that easy button. Mm -hmm. But I just, you can only buy that at Staples and they're out of business. You know, there's that quote, like, if you can't have me at my worst, you can't have me at my best, right? And like, I think a lot of people are trying to build a life and a path for themselves that assumes a lot of really great conditions. But the truth is like, you're going to go through a lot of crap. Everyone is going to go through a lot of crap. Like life sucks on many levels. Everyone's going to deal with grief and loved ones passing away and it doesn't matter. You can't escape some of these things. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how smart you are or how zen you are. Like these things aren't going to get to you. And you just got to operate on these assumptions. And I'm sure I'm, I have blind spots too, but like it's just, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think chaos is opportunity. And especially if other people are being distracted and super high anxiety and things like this, like I, I try to write. I have a writing practice. I write every week and I just do it doesn't matter how good or bad my life is. It's just something I do. And it's like, I don't boast about it. I don't complain about it. It just is what it is. It's just like getting healthy or whatever. It's just a thing that you do. It's like, there's a few people that probably like it, but like there are a lot of parts, especially when you're, I don't know, on your 12th rep on, you know, like you're dying, like it doesn't feel good. You're, you're pushing yourself. It's something that you do because the result is going to be worth it. And I think ultimately that's the case with most, most things, you know? And yeah, it's true. Most people aren't willing to stick with it. If you're willing to do that, just show people you're going to, you are because by doing it, just do it, just do the thing, you know? It's funny. You listen to all these podcasts or videos or courses or ebooks. And at the end of the day, you just do it. You ever heard of Art Williams? Oh, that rings a bell. He was like, he founded like two large, large companies and he has a speech called just do it. 
And the whole speech, and he's kind of a little bit more religious, and I'm not, I'm not a Christian or practicing in that. But I was like, yo, yes. He's like, you know what? You wake up and you do it. Then you go to lunch and you do it. And after that, you do it. And then you do it. And until you're done doing it, you do it some more. And so it's, it's one of my favorite video inspirational videos. It's true. The problem is a lot of these people asking these questions know the answer. They don't like Whoa. the answer, which is why they're asking the questions. But I think they're looking for a way out. They're like hoping, they're hoping that you have an answer that's like, actually, there is a secret side door here. The problem is if you've spent five years looking for that secret side door, it might not exist, right? Like I tell people this with writing. I'm like, look, being a writer is so easy. All you have to do is write. Being a writer is so hard because you have to write. Like you could do everything else in the world. You have the most beautiful website and like social media accounts and book cover and this and that. You still have to write. No, I don't want to hear any of this positive fucking just go do work and it's going to all work out. I think the one thing I would just add to that and, and, and tag on to what you're saying is that find the things that give you energy. Yeah, I did a volunteer thing where I just talked to anybody in, uh, for an hour and a half that follows me on Twitter and then in this Facebook group I'm in. And I said, let's just talk. I'll talk about anything you guys want. And so we talked about different. one guy had the resume thing. One guy, And afterwards, I was like, holy fuck, I'm energized. Or I have a conversation with you and you inspire me and you get me thinking about this one idea, this other thing. And I'm like, fuck, yes. And so what I was really intentional on Sunday was what is the week I want to have? What are the activities that may not always feel good? may not always be easy like the gym, but it's like, if I put that in, I know every day I'm creating something. That's my natural high, man. It feeds into each other, right? Like if you can get those things done, then you're going to feel like you can do a lot more. Big time. I mean, I think it's like, you have to look at what in your life people or things or activities are adding and what stuff is subtracting. And if you have a job, that's part of it. But figuring out where can I spend as much time as possible in the adding section. So let's just say I have an idea. I want to have a coloring book. I'm a really bad drawer, but let's say I have this idea for Austin Art Coloring Book. And this is me. I don't have a social media presence, but I'm a good drawer. What would be your approach on me getting my coloring book and maybe helping me get to maybe $1,000 a month? Like, how would you even start thinking about it? How would you go about it? Like, walk me through, like, your thought process. Well, yeah, the first thing I would be probably start an Instagram account, maybe a YouTube account, too, and then just start posting your work, doing live streams, even to an audience of zero for now. Find the relevant subreddit, either local, like the Austin subreddit. Like, try to be as specific as you can. The word I always use is community, like find your community online. And the community, the difference between a community and a network like Twitter might be that on a network, like you join the network and like no one knows who you are, right? You're just like another voice out of millions. But a community is kind of like you join, it's kind of like entering a room where like everyone kind of knows you now exist. So for example, Reddit, doesn't matter how long you've been on Reddit. If you comment on Reddit, your comment is equal to everybody else's comment, right? Effectively. That's really great if you're a newcomer because you don't have to compete with all these big people who've been there for a long time. That's so it's like find those channels. Like Reddit is a great one. For me, it was Hacker News. I started commenting on Hacker News in the early days of my tech career. You know, find out where do people who draw hang. By the way, if you're selling drawings and coloring stuff, your audience is going to look probably a lot like you. Because the problem is like, you're like, oh, anyone wants this. So like, what does that mean? It's like, well, first find the people closest to you. That's going to make your life a lot easier. Reddit is great. YouTube is great. Find forums online. There are tons of forums. You're not competing with a ton of people to do that. Build your audience. You know, at the end of everything, like in the comments, like if it gets a bunch of upvotes, like links. By the way, you know, I post my stuff on Instagram here or I do live streams on YouTube here or what have you. And once you get to like a few hundred people, it'll start building. It's like a snowball for sure. It's like you're literally adding like a couple people a day. By the way, tell all your friends about it. Tell your family about it. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you don't deserve an audience anyways. I talked to a lot of creators and a lot of them, you know, they're like, I, my work's super good and I don't have any followers. It's like, well, have you told your friends? And guess what? 
you look at crowdfunding campaigns, like the first five, 10, 20% friends and family, right? Like if they're not going to back you, no one else is. Again, I don't agree that that's the right, like that's what it should be. Personally, I think it should be. It's, it's interesting. The first thing you triggered for me was in funding for most Silicon Valley companies or tech companies, what's the first, first round that most people actually talk about? Friends and family. Friends and family around. But in all other businesses, they're like, oh, let me go find people that don't know me and don't even like me yet. Yeah. And I did an experiment where a guy, and I'd, I'd say build an email list, right? So you need some way to communicate with your audience. And you could do free coloring book. Like, hey, here's a free coloring page. Give me your email on sendfox.com. And then you could sell that book on Gumroad. And that's huge. And I was like, all right, let's post this on your Facebook. And he had like a hesitation, right? Because it's scary. And you know, even today, I was posting something on Instagram. And I was scared about what my high school, not even friends anymore, would fucking think about me. This up here is, can, is a, it's a powerful thing. And it's also like, a, it, it hurts you at times. So I think it's practicing going into this stuff. Maybe for you and me, it's not as scary anymore, or we have to find new levels of fear. But it's just starting to put yourself out a little, little bit. You forget, I think, when you've been doing it for so long, like maybe in the early days when you, you're like first telling people like, hey, I left school, I'm doing a startup or whatever. Like, it's not easy. But the truth <laughs> is, it is who you are. Like, that's what you spend your time doing. I think when you don't feel comfortable telling people it's an insecurity it's and it by the way it feels great like once you get across that and you're like proud of what you're doing and spending your time it's like the best feeling in the world and by the way people ask you they're like hey how's that thing going like people ask me all the time about my painting i'm not the best painter in the world once a week someone's like hey how's your painting doing they're not like how's gummer doing how's this how's your twitter personality all that yeah. stuff they're like how's your painting you know so like you can build relationships with people if you're willing to be open about what you're actually spending your time on what you actually care about I would agree with you, by the way, like email list free once a week or what have you. And then once you have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 drawings, you could do pay what you want on Gumroad. You could just say it's five bucks. You could do different tiers. You could do topics, you know, and then once you have a thousand people, you know, on your email list, you, you'll make, I don't know, you probably make a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars, honestly, from that. That's the beginning. And you can get there within three, four or five months. Within mm. in a year, you'll be at, you know, 500 to to $1,000 a month. And the thing is, as Gumroad, Gumroad had this arc, right, where it was like this. That's what's going to happen to you, too. So you might, three or four years in, you might be making a couple thousand bucks a year. And then you're going to have a moment. And all of a sudden, you're going to be making twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month. I've seen that happen multiple times. So two things I want to highlight that I think are very important is that if I have a thousand person email list, how much do you think I should be making? If Assuming it's a thousand people who are interested in my stuff, like ballpark that. If they're genuinely interested, you, I would say like, at least a thousand bucks a month from that. From a thousand people? I've seen a thousand dollars a month from a thousand people. Yeah. What were they selling? Just to give an idea. Yeah, selling ebooks, for example, would be a good example. Ebooks or video courses. Sometimes more. I mean, I've seen people with literally like hundreds of email subscribers make like forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. But those, I assume that those must have been like you know relationships they would have had in person or have bought prior things or something like that. Like, but and they were selling very high price like workshops and things like that. That's interesting. And I think the other thing that you said that I'm going to highlight, and I'll come back to one thing, is that it does take about a year. Let's say you could, you should be making money in the first month. What the problem is, is that if they're not making the million dollars the first year, like, oh, this thing's failed. That's one thing I just want to, I always want to like hammer people's home. Like, it's only took me 10 years, only 10 years. Like, like the 10,000 hour rule is actually the 10 year rule. The second piece of that is, I don't know, I, th I think one of the things we were talking about that got me excited and, and I want to encourage people is like, the hardest part is the first dollar. The hardest part, and I, I talked about, I had a course about five years ago and we took it offline. I might, I might release it for free. Two people today reminded me like, dude, the fact that I had to get a first dollar on this new thing got me hooked. Once you get almost that acceptance, that validation, that level that like I'm creating something of worth, and even a dollar small, but it really is like, oh shit, now the momentum train is off. 
Yeah, totally. It's a binary switch, right? It's like you went from not making money on the internet from random people to now making money on the internet from random people. And the truth is software is amazing because guess what? If like 30 more people decided to give you money, you would have more money. Like you didn't have to do anything extra. And I think that's part of what's so powerful is you realize like this is exactly the same process that you'd use to make 10 bucks, a thousand bucks, a hundred thousand bucks. The differences are like the quality of the content, the production value, the size of your audience, how long you've sort of, you know, spent time building those relationships. But the actual like, You've now figured out beginning to end how to make a dollar. And then now it's just a question of scaling it. Let's just recap some of that stuff. Because I think that's the part, honestly, where people just get so like, they get, I think, overwhelmed. And I think there's two sides of it that I've observed. They either get overwhelmed so they don't start. They're like, I've got to perfect my course. I was talking to someone this week. I've got to perfect the course. It's not ready yet. And so they never start. And I see the other set of people who are like, oh, if I make a course, I get rich. That's just how it works. I read it on Sahil's blog. And so let me just put it on and I just get, I make billions. And so I think the biggest thing is start, be an action taker, start right now. Promise something, say, hey, you're going to get an email from me every Friday and just start. And if there's like three people on the email list, like just, that's fine. Who cares? It's like for you to build the muscle. It's actually better when you have three people because then you can build the muscle without feeling like you're going to mess up all the time. Once you have thousands of people, then you don't want to make those mistakes when you already have thousands of people, basically, right? I would actually almost disagree with you a little bit, though. Not disagree in a bad sense, but the best part about having three or five is that you can do all the crazy shit that'll get you to 500. And the thing is that 500, you have to still keep doing crazy shit to get to the 5,000. And I've just observed with entrepreneurs and even myself, we're at 5,000. I'm like, oh, well, now I can't offend them. And now I can't try this. And now I can't try that. And so it's, I think it's still being aware of that stuff, man. That's, it, it gets hard. It's fun, too. And I think you have confidence that you're like, if you can get from, you never thought you'd get to 500, right? So once you're there, you're like, I don't think I can get to 5,000, but that's what I thought about 500. So maybe I can. Facebook started with one user. Gumroad started with the first sale. And I think that's the biggest win for everyone is just get that momentum for you. Get your first coloring book email subscriber on sendfox.com. Get them to buy something on gumroad.com. That's your first coloring book. Maybe it's even a dollar. Maybe it's literally your, your wife. Maybe it's your wife's coworkers. Maybe it's like your church. Maybe it's like a Facebook group you're in. Maybe it's your writing group. Like I know you're part of a writing group with them. And so just get the ball rolling on it. But I, so for coloring book, all right, I have my coloring book. I loved your idea of Instagram. I love the idea of YouTube. I actually thought one of the things you said that wasn't as like direct, but I, I think was really powerful is go be a part of a community and participate. I know what I do is that, you know, it's like having sex without any foreplay. I'm like, hey, here's my thing. Just buy it, everyone. It's like, I, I don't, who are you? Why are you in this group? But I think what you've encouraged, and I think you've done well, and it's what, why you've, I think you've built something that I admire, I assume you do too, is that I think you've participated. Yeah, I've been think- part of the community. Someone asked me this today, actually, they're like, when you do these open board meetings and stuff, do you feel like at the top of a thing or like in the middle or with all these other people that are attending with these creators? And, you know, and I'm like, I genuinely feel like a peer. I happen to be running a thing that maybe is larger, processes more money or whatever, but I wasn't not that long ago. And also like there are people in here that are much bigger than me. And also I know people that are running big businesses that are stupid. And I know people that are incredibly smart that <laughs> failed. So like, it's not a sign of your ability. It's just like, look, you started yesterday. Like, of course you only have two followers or whatever. Like that's, as you mentioned, like everyone goes through that part. You know, you can't skip the six figure business to go to a seven figure business. It's impossible. Gumroad at one point had one sale. Like in the first year, we only processed like, I don't know, like a hundred something grand or something, you know, like, like $12,000 a month. That's like in total GMV. I really believe that if you can make a dollar, you can make $10. If you can make 10 bucks, you can make a hundred bucks. If you can make a hundred bucks, you can make a thousand bucks. Like there's no real limit with software, with internet. Like your audience at some point will be 
massive if you start now. It will take time, so you should start now. Like I have a bunch of followers on Twitter now, but like I started tweeting in 2008. And like a year ago, I had 20,000. Now I have 90,000. It took eight years or whatever, seven, eight years for that 20,000. And then, you know, it's just like, again, it's that curve. And maybe in three years, I'll have like 600,000. Who knows? Or I'll have 91,000. It is that compounding thing. Very few people stick with it, though. To your point, you have to work on something that gives you energy because otherwise you're going to run out. You're going to run out of energy like way way over here. You're not going to make it this far. And this is when it gets really fun because now where Gummer's at, I'm like, I I feel like I, I can conquer the world. Like I can hire three or four people. I can build an entirely new product. I can go do that. I have a bunch of distribution. I can go tell a bunch of people. They'll know what it is immediately. I can go, you know, I can get it in front of people, et cetera. Like it's a really powerful thing. And it's, it took time, it took a lot of time to get to where I am. And you're going to be alive for a long period of time, hopefully. So like, don't feel bad that it's going to take 10 years. Like that's great. That's just how long it takes everyone. As you mentioned, it's a 10 year, 10 year rule. And I can look at many things in my life and be like, yeah. And writing is the same thing. You mentioned I'm in a writing group. I write science fiction. Like that's literally my MO with it. Like when people ask me about it, I'm like, yeah, I'll write for, I'll write a million words, a hundred thousand words a year for 10 years. That's the goal. It's fun. It gives me energy. It makes me feel good. I like doing it. It's not hard. It's like, it's something I would be doing anyways. And so if it happens in year three, year five, whatever, it's fine. But I'm going to, you know, I'm giving myself 10 because I know from experience that that's roughly how long it takes to get really good at something. I think find the thing that you enjoy doing and you could see yourself doing for 10 years. And I think for myself, I go through spurts where I do YouTube and I'm really excited. And then I fucking give up after a year because I'm not at 100,000 followers. And I don't even call it followers, but 100,000 audience. And I'm like, well, this is a failure. I did it with my podcast. I did it with YouTube. And I think I've really come 180. I'm hoping and I'm working towards is how to sustain, right? So how to create a system around the things you enjoy doing. I enjoy content. I enjoy getting to share your story. I enjoy talking about Gumroad. I enjoy talking about coloring books. I don't like doing coloring books, but I like talking about them. I think it's figuring out the way that you can do that and keep evolving it so that you want to be doing this for some long period of time. Yeah. And the truth is, if, like, if I do write for 10 years, almost definitely all the other goals that people have around this stuff, I will have accomplished, right? Like I will probably be published. I will probably have a book you can read. I will probably have multiple books you can read. I I will probably be someone interesting in the community of science fiction and fantasy and hang out with some of my favorite writers and talk uh, sci-fi and stuff. In my opinion, it's an inevitability because if I've truly stuck with it for 10 years, guess what? I know people who've stuck with it for 10 years. They've all been able to do these other things. I know a lot of people who did not stick with it for 10 years. None of them were able to do some of these things. Some maybe got lucky, got to, you know, thing, but it really is honestly that simple. If you started a business and then 10 years later, you're still running the business, it's probably successful. Oh, I hope so. Like show me a business that isn't. How many products on Gumroad are products selling about how to sell on Gumroad? If you asked me that question like two months ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you like there would be so few, but because of this new spiking growth, there are all these... Gumroad creators, this is, by the way, another point to starting early and getting started is now you, when there's a new rush of people, you can actually be there teaching them. So we have all these Gumroad creators that have built audiences over the last year or two that are like, Hey, I have 10, 20, 30, 40,000, 60,000 followers. I can teach people how to use Gumroad, how to sell on Gumroad. So now I've seen tons and tons of products, actually. Uh, some of them have already made thousands of dollars. You know, just literally they're teaching people how to make Gumroad. By the way, if you release tutorials or anything on how to use Gumroad and you mention the Gumroad Twitter account, there's a very high chance that we will retweet you because we want to show people that there's a community and an ecosystem building around us, right? So it's just like, just you be clever about how you want to build your audience and help other people out. And very quickly, you will you will build an audience. Very quickly, meaning in a year. 
I can speak for myself. All the cool stuff I was planning to do, it's probably not going to happen this year. So I'm like, you know, hunkered down, building stuff, writing stuff. I'll probably be doing that until next year. The one thing I wanted to highlight, I was reflecting on my career two weeks ago. And I think I'm like a B plus kind of smartness, not A. A people at Facebook, people were A. They were impressive. And I was like B plus, but I'm aggressive enough that I can get to the A out of that. But one thing I was observing in my career that I thought was really interesting about what you just said, and I think this is good for anyone trying to start a business is, are you at least a part of a tidal wave that can be a lot bigger? Because digital and internet, that shit is here, I don't know, at least in our lifetime, it's probably going to keep getting bigger. Do you think more people are going to be online in the future? Yeah. So if you can be a part of that, there's a good chance that that'll matter. And so for me, it was like I was a part of social networking, Facebook, or personal finance, or Facebook games, or payments for games, or the Groupon thing, or SaaS with Sumo.com, and now email marketing. And now, you know, we have haul drop. I think the point is that I don't know if I'm the smartest necessarily B plus person, which I love, uh, sometimes A minus. But I think the point is that like, we've just picked big categories that if we even do okay, we're very successful. And I think people are picking probably ones that have nothing. And so they could even be the biggest. But uh, I think that's a really good point about the gumroad part. It's so true. I mean, it's like, uh, what's the metaphor people use surfing, right? It's pretty hard to serve a dead ocean. It's a lot. It's very easy, actually, to serve like a wave. If you have someone who can put you onto a wave, that's the hard part, right? So it's honestly obvious. Like, guess what? People are probably going to be sending emails to build their audience and sell stuff tomorrow and 10 years from now. If they do change it, it's just going to be the same thing with a different word and different UI and different this, right? Like, they'll be in VR or whatever. And so, yeah, just like, you don't have to be smart to do that. You just have to be like, hey, Twitter and Facebook and all these things, social networking are going to enable all these creators to have their own audiences now. Mm. What are they going to do with that audience? They're probably not going to want to give up 90% of it to other people so they can access that audience if they can talk to them directly. Let's build a service that helps them sell directly and make 95%. It was like, not that crazy, you know? And guess what? Like, I'm sure someone could take the same pitch and like modify it a little bit and it would look like they are launching like Substack. They're like, you know, like all these journalists are building their own audiences and they're having more engagement and distribution on Twitter instead of NewYorkTimes.com. Exactly. I think sometimes people think, yeah, I think you need to be incredibly smart, like some savant to like come up with these ideas. But it's like, no, you just have to like see an opportunity, ideally solve a problem for yourself. If you're a journalist, I think one of the Substack co-founders was like, you'll have more empathy for that problem. You'll realize it's a thing. And then guess what? Like all you got to do is build the thing, ride the wave and stay alive. and you'll do pretty okay. What is your Twitter strategy? I'm jealous. I'm jealous in a good way. I admire. But it's like, yeah, how do you think about it? How do you approach it? And for the people wondering, I'm asking because so many of your tweets, one, they don't feel like bullshit. I see some of these other people tweeting. I'm like, this seems fake. And yours always seem genuine. And they have a certain personality that I really appreciate. And I I respect. They just seem to all kind of like pick up steam. So is it like, yeah, walking through how you think about that? It's kind of like inspiration, as we were talking about in the beginning, right? It's like, you just got to live an interesting life and do stuff like talk to people, talk to creators, talk to founders, just talk, just like be yourself, talk to your spouse, like just engage, engage with the world. And you will start like, I talk to painters and writers, you know, and filmmakers, like inherently, that gives me a lot of surface area of which to like, I'll talk to a painter about startups. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know that like startups, like the way you thought about failing was in this way. And I'm like, that might make a good tweet. Like it starts to create a lot of that sort of like those generative moments. And then the other thing is, I think, yeah, I think it's like to your point about bullshit. Like, honestly, it's really easy to spot when people are just trying to build their audience. Mm. Gumroad thing, I really believe like we're not trying to grow at all. We're just trying to build a really great product. Literally, we spend zero money on paid acquisition. And the reason is because like, what's the end goal for me? Like, do we grow is 100% year over year, 200%? It just goes forever. You're never going to 
And so for me, I'm like, I can't worry about that. I just have to worry about building a great product. So same thing with my Twitter. I'm like, look, if we, if I, if my Twitter account grows, awesome. But my goal is to like really, truly just like tweet what I believe, try to compress my thoughts in a way that like sound good. Like they sound like poetry. They're almost like their own little art form. And that sounds pretentious, but it's true. They try to build their own, their audience and they pretend they're not. So at least what I'm saying is, look, I'm literally trying to like create interesting thoughts and like little funny, like I'm playing with words basically and trying to construct an interesting idea that sticks in your head. And that's what I'm doing. And everyone knows I'm trying to do that. So when I do that, it doesn't feel like I'm screwing, I'm lying or like trying to build an audience or, you know, being dishonest or bullshitting. It's like, no, clearly that's what I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to wrap my head around some idea and like Twitter is helping me do that. And it works. That combined, I think, with also just like I'm doing stuff, right? Like I think a lot of the people that they have these Twitter accounts and you can kind of tell that they're, it's like they're reading a book about something and they're talking about it or they're like a VC and they're talking to founders and they're talking about what they've learned from their founders. The truth is what people want is they want people who are doing stuff, talking about doing stuff. Like the thing is I can, I talk about building stuff. I don't just talk about like running a company. I talk about like just stuff that makes it clear that I'm actually doing this stuff and I like doing it. And so people will reward me for that with likes and retweets and all these sorts of things. And it's funny, again, it's simple. You know, it sounds really simple, like anyone can do it. But the hard part is actually just doing the thing. Like then tweeting is like kind of like an easy side effect of that. And if you notice like the people who are really good at tweeting, like Naval, like you, Ahmed, who you mentioned, like we're doing things like with our lives. We're not just sitting around trying to tweet all day long. The people who are trying to tweet all day long, they might do okay, but like everyone kind of knows that's what they're doing. They don't really have a lot going on. I don't know. I just try to be transparent. Like I try to be an interesting person and then I try to be transparent so people can see who I am. Whereas I think a lot of people are like trying to be interesting. Yeah, they're trying. I don't think you're trying. Just be an interesting person. <laughs> How do I get ideas? Just live. No, no, no. But where is this idea? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> well, one thing I want to say that I loved it, how you put it, man, and you, you, I really appreciated talking with you. I'm glad you, you came on to hang out with me. It's a reward. Yeah. For suffering, I think. I think it's a reward for like struggling, not for the tweet, struggling to write the tweet, right? But like with whatever I went through to get to that moment and like putting myself out there. I was talking to Naval about this. I think he was like, look, like you typically when it, when something works, it's because the person went through some crap, like they, they struggled to get to this idea or this thought or this company and they have some battle wounds and you can almost see it in the product, you know, and their personality and people want to reward people because guess what? We suffering sucks. So when we see someone who suffered, we want to help them. And it's kind of like that same kind of idea. But the truth is very few people want to admit that because it's vulnerable. It says that like I suck or I failed or I suffered or I'm not perfect or I messed up or I had to do layoffs or whatever it is. And so when you're willing to do that, then, you know, like sharing the Gumroad numbers, I share the Gumroad numbers every month, not because they're good, not because they're bad. I don't even, I don't add any commentary. I'm just like, this is what the numbers are. And I think it sets me free, honestly, because it's like, look, this is what it is. Now it's great. Now people are like, oh my gosh, Gumroad's growing so fast. But when I first started sharing the numbers, it was small and we were barely growing. You know, if Gumroad flatlines again, like I'll share the numbers. If it dies, I'll share the numbers. Like it's just, I think people really appreciate that. The truth is I tweeted this uh, yesterday, actually. It's like, write like your audience is smart. And I think a lot of people try to think that they're really smart and they have to educate their audience. But it's much better to just like assume they're really smart, assume they're just as smart as you are and just talk to them like a normal human being. That's what everyone wants anyways. They don't want that like university professor who's trying to sound really smart. I know people like that all the time. Everyone does. And like no one really, everyone knows what they're up to. You know, they're dealing with their own demons and insecurities and no one, no one likes them. 
one, I noticed that you retweet old ones, which I love because like, I think in social media, there's this stupidity that I have and everyone has where you think everyone saw it that's supposed to see it. And the reality with social media, these companies are incentivized to keep those things from our audience and customers so that we pay to reach them. And so I like that you're revisiting old stuff. The thing I, I just want to highlight that you said I thought was really interesting is I don't do ads. And that's what we can have another discussion about marketing and things like that. But I think the question that's really interesting is how much is enough? Like if we grow 100%, if we grow 200%, and I, I know Andrew Chen is one of our advisors at AppSumo and Sumo Group. He's always been like, grow more. And I'm like, well, what does that do for my life? Like, I'm still going to have my car. The one thing I am curious on the Twitter part that uh, is that you put out a lot of really, I like your thoughts and I, I appreciate They feel genuine. And I think that's maybe what you were saying all along, which is be authentic for what you really are saying. Because like when I tweet or like I'm trying this Venmo challenge this week and we just talked about it on Sunday because I thought I heard someone else do a different type of thing. I was like, that just seems like fun. And that's what I want to put out. How have you or do you deal with when you put something out and it's like, people are like, yeah, I don't care. Like I looked at your one of your things, do not regret going older. It's a privilege to deny to many. And it only gets... 293 hearts. Does that does that do anything to you? Are you okay? How do you look at that? I would be lying if I said I had no reaction to that, you know? Obviously, we're trying to do well. Like, that's why we're posting these thoughts out there for the world at some degree. It's about being generative. It's like coming up with new ideas and new ideas. So like, I'm already, I'm like thinking about the next thing. I normally will like mute a lot of my like recent tweets. And then I'll just go back like 24 hours later and like see how they did. Oh, you mute it so you can't see it. Yeah, so I don't see the notifications. And then at that 24 hours, like here's an example. You did this Gumroad. We'll give $1,000 to the first person who does this with four of their favorite Gumroad product landing pages. Like I saw that and I was like, okay, that should be gigantic. Yeah, I know. That's so funny. It's funny. It's funny. It's good, man. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's the thing is like if you really truly think it's fun and funny, like then you win, right? Like then it's just like for me, I was like laughing when I tweeted that. Because I thought it was just like this hilarious joke. And so that's enough for me. I think that when the worst is when you tweet something, and this happens to me, it happens to everybody, I think. But when you tweet something and you maybe make it something not genuine because you think that's going to make it do better, and then when it doesn't work, then you feel like shit. Because then you're like, I I sort of violated my own values and principles and and I wasn't rewarded for it. But really, you should feel that way either way. And honestly, like one other thing that's really helped is sometimes some people will just DM me and like, or even just in person, people would be like, hey, that tweet that you had about this thing like was really, I don't know, resonant with me or I think about it a lot or whatever, uh, or help me with this problem like in my company. And almost always those tweets like are the ones that just get, don't do well at all for whatever reason. I, I've noticed this over and over. Like someone yesterday said, this is one of my best things you've ever tweeted. And it was like a tweet that got like 300 likes or something. And so that gives me some sort of like sense of like, it's not always an accurate measure of how valuable just like revenue might be, might not be an accurate totally. measure of like how valuable your company is to people, to actual people, human beings. Like a tweet, like count, might also be like imperfect, right? In terms of like, is this the number of people? Like someone asked me this, like this many people replied and said you were wrong. Why didn't you delete the tweet? I'm like, yeah, but like fifteen thousand people saw it and didn't say anything. So like, you don't know. <laughs> yes, you're right. Like more people uh, replied and said negative things than normal, but like. A lot more people saw it in general. Like I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, no one does, you know. And honestly, the other thing, no one really yeah. cares. Like tomorrow, no, no one's thinking about. Yes. Oh man, that was a really bad tweet. Yeah, I wonder if anyone's thinking about it. It's like no, they're thinking about their own shit and their own lives. Their fucking crazy ex-husband or whatever it is. I think the thing that I've been, I struggled with two weeks ago was I put out like a YouTube video, and, and Twitter to me is stupid as shit. So it's not about Twitter, but I think the point I'm trying to reflect on for myself and for the audience is this is everything. My coloring book, it didn't make that much sales. My whatever, my class, 
my physical product, my Instagram post, this joke I put out there. And I put out like a Zoom webinar video. And I was like, yo, this is a great fucking video. Like I, there's like 10 tips, like really funny. I think it's very unique. No one's watching it. And I was talking to this guy and he's like, well, did you put out what you wanted? I'm like, yeah. You know, and, and so it, that's the part I was really having to disconnect from like my ego and the attention needing from really like, did I do what I really wanted? And did I put it out? In the way? Cool. And I, and I love what you said, too. It's like, all right, next. Like, I think, you know, dwelling on the creation and the judgment or the lack of recognition of the judgment, recognition of the whatever action. Like also if things are going amazing or you have some super hyper viral tweet move forward because otherwise like you just spend your whole day being like oh look how many tens of thousands of people have engaged with this thing they don't even know who you are they just hit like and moved on i think if you apply the rule you have to apply it on both there's definitely days where like AppSumo has like a killer sales day like we're promoting deposit photos and people really love that and it goes really well and there's days where it's like we we had a really low sales day like a week ago and i'm i'm like well all right well i'm cutting my salary and you know it's interesting to disconnect from like are you living the life the way you want it to live Obviously, you have to you have to pay bills and stuff like that. But are you doing the work and the creations that I don't know that fulfill you that that give you that energy that give you that buzz? And honestly, like I think the people I respect the most are the people that are like they they do certain things and they just love doing those sort of things. They spend time with their family, whatever they happen to be doing. They pet their cat, etc. And then they don't care about a lot of this other stuff. You know, I'm like, hey, what did you what do you think about this thing that this person said? And they're like, I didn't see it. And they're like, well, well, what now that you know? I was like, I don't care. Who cares? Why do you care? Just focus on yourself, focus on, you know, like this is all there is, right? There's nothing else. Like there's no magic. I think coronavirus, I feel like it's really taught me like this is life. This is what life is. It's just like spending time cooking, eating, sleeping, like doing the, when you're retired, this is what we're going to be doing. Like, so make this nice for you because this is it. This is what most of life is. You know, you're not doing that stuff 24 seven. Most people certainly aren't. And I, that's why I think I'm kind of happy is because I invested in trying to figure this stuff out after the layoffs and stuff. I kind of went through that quarter life crisis and I'm like, ah, I could be at home for months. I'm totally fine. I can tell you're loving it as an audience and as like a observer. That's so important. I, I can tell you're loving this too, man. Like I think it's like the easiest thing and the hardest thing because if you're loving it, then you could just spew whatever and like people will love it because it's like they're feeling it, they're getting it, you know? Yeah. And if you're not loving it, it doesn't matter how smart you are and this and that. Like people aren't going to jive. They're, they're not going to get it. It's like a superpower. People want to work with you. People want to invest in you. People want to help you. It's like a stupid advice, but it's like almost like find out how to be that type of person. Like, just find out how to be happy. And like, if you can get happy, then all these other things will be a lot easier to do, in my opinion. And yeah, it's true. I think it's a big reason my Twitter account is successful and all these sorts of things. People can tell that I'm having fun. I'm making stupid jokes, and but I'm like, yeah. I'm having fun doing it. It's apparent from the outside. And, and you know, if someone's not happy, it's like, that's what you only have to take seven years of really hard times to get there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. One other thing I wanted to observe that you did on this Twitter that's interesting is you're actually like posting a fucking shit ton a day. I didn't even realize how many. Twitter kind of buffers it, right? So I don't even think Oh, about yes, it. dude. One of the things you did that I'm going to go copy is I like that you go back and take all of your old popular stuff and just repost it. It's like, hey, guess what? That's my favorite. It's like having a restaurant, having a favorite dish and being like, all right, yeah, we got rid of that one. Now we have shittier ones. It's like, come back, bring the good shit first. I'm definitely going to borrow that one. And sometimes I change it slightly as like an Easter egg for people that notice. I posted one about uh, being embarrassed to ship and I changed it from eight years to nine years because it had been a year since I tweeted it. And so I just like make jokes and sometimes people call me out. I'm like, yeah, I know. Obviously, I know I'm doing it. (laughs) I did it. Do you have to quote yourself? (laughs) I know. I don't know what the policy is. Like, and there's no rules on Twitter. It's not like, you're not allowed to do this. Like, guess what? I said good morning to my wife yesterday and today. I don't know. It's funny. People have these like perceptive, like, or sort of like 
these rules that they've made up for themselves and they kind of enforce them on other people. And when you say, actually, I don't abide by those rules. Oh man. They're kind of like, well, no, you should. It's like, no, these are, you made them up for yourself. Like don't put them on me. I was biking. And the quote I thought about was just no apologies. Mm. And you said it. And I think to be an entrepreneur, to create and put yourself out there, you can't ask for permission. Because if you ask for permission, you are an employee of sorts. And I think to be a creator, you're saying, this has not existed before. And I'm going to take a chance to make that stuff. And I'm going to take a chance to put myself out there to do that. You have some wisdom. You're going to have some like spiritual guidance. And I, I can't wait to hear. So let's, whatever your final thought is of your head, what we should have for dinner, whatever it is, uh, I'd love to know. Oh man, that's open-ended. That's dangerous. That's really dangerous. This is a tough one, but I really believe that like no apologies is a good one. I think that's great. I think I love apologizing. I love it. I honestly like think it's one of my favorite things to do. But what I try to do is I always try to like really get it around what I'm apologizing for. So if you're just saying like, I'm sorry for doing a bad thing, you're not sorry for that typically. Because like there's a whole set of scenarios that led you to doing that thing or that's who you are or who you were at the time and blah, 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 blah. What I try to do is I always try to like be like, I'm sorry for blank. Like I caused this pain in your life and I'm truly sorry for that. But that's just who I am. That's what I did. Like, And so it's not wrong. And I'm not trying to like get out of a situation. That's the other thing is like, I'm not using an apology as like a way out. I'm actually using this apology to just like to take blame and responsibility and to say, look, that's like just, that's part of who I am. I make tons of mistakes. Like, you know, like Gumroad is and my own account, like as it grows, like there's more, more people get pissed and angry and, and different things. And I, I say, and I apologize frequently, but it's always like, I'm sorry if I caused you any stress. And some people don't like that, right? They're like, you're sorry if I was offended. Like, and I'm like, that's, but I'm just being honest with you, dude. Like, I'm not going to lie to make you feel good. That's going to be a lot worse. That's a much worse slippery slope. Like, let me just say what I feel and you can take it or leave it. You can deny my apology. Guess what? My apology is not even about you. It's just about me wrapping my head around what I did wrong so I can do better next time. It's not about me going back into the past. And and that's just a really, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, if you're a creator, you have to internalize that because like, otherwise these people who you don't care about are going to, because their true motive, a lot of these people's motives is to get you to stop creating. That's what they're trying to get you to do. They're scared of what you're making and they don't want you to make anymore. And they're using fear to get you to stop. And then maybe that sounds like conspiratorial or something, but like I've seen it play out with a lot of our creators. And like, if they weren't scared of you, they would just ignore you. They're scared that your work has power and that's why they're, they want you to stop. And I've seen that with Gumroad and myself, you know, and like, it's true, you know, you just got to focus on yourself and look, they don't care about you anyways. They don't, they don't care that you're an <laughs> asshole. And by the way, they're not going to care that you're awesome. Like if you fix all the things they want you to fix, they're still not going to care about you. They're just going to move on to the next person they think is broken and try to fix them. So yeah, you just have to work for yourself. Like you're the only, you're the only person worth working for. You're the only person that you even know is alive. Every one of us could be a mirage, right? So just like focus on what you care about. Make your, make sure you're happy and you're spending your time doing what you want. And by the way, if you do those things, then all these other things will fall into place. And you know, like you might see this and be like, this is crazy. This person's saying that we're all in the simulation or whatever. But it's like, then you go like, that's what I believed before you read and heard all of this. And now you'll see my Twitter and maybe in a different light, maybe in the same light, but it's the same stuff. Yeah, just be real with other people, but that requires being real with yourself first, I think. Mic drop. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. I hope you love the episode. So if you did, go check out Sahil at gumroad.com. And next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go create pancakes together. And before you go, don't email me at podcast.okdork.com. I don't want to hear from you. Also, remember, go check out my YouTube if you're looking to start or grow an online business, youtube.com slash okdork. 
And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com, as always, for making these podcasts sound so damn great. I love you, man. And thank you, Mitchell and David of the Dork Team. And a special shout out to my boy, East Steinberg at halldrop.com this week. Just wanted to let you know you're super cool. Have a gorgeous day. What's your favorite home workout? <laughs> <laughs>